The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. This is episode 24, the last place edition of the Market Pulse podcast. As I always say, please drop any reviews, likes on your favorite podcasting app. I don't think they all allow it, but if you've got Apple Podcasts, I know they allow for a review and a star rating. So jump on that, tell your friends about the podcast. But this is a bit of a trimmed down edition. And I say trimmed down, meaning it's going to be a little bit shorter than my normal podcast. I don't really have time this weekend as I'm sort of away from home. And I normally record this on a Saturday. So this is coming a little bit earlier. The sort of results for the week won't be for the full week. It'll be up to, I guess, now the ASX is open at the moment. I'm recording this at midday on a Friday. So let's jump into it really quickly. And the ASX 200 is up 1.4%, but that is uh, week to date so far. So today's uh, hasn't been a great time on the market, but overall, I guess, based on that, you could say the market's had a decent week, but there's been some sort of uh, some, some companies coming to market and reporting their results uh, today, which haven't looked too good. And that's kind of probably pulled the market down there a little bit. Looking over in the US, the S&P 500 is up 2.39% week to date and NASDAQ is up about just over 3% for the week. Again, they still got a day of trade, so that could very much change by the, the time you listen to this. And like I sort of mentioned, this is going to be a bit of a trimmed down edition. I've got a t- couple topics I'm going to jump into just regarding some of the more reporting season stuff. And, you know, I I like reporting season. It's It's an interesting... <laughs> It's an interesting time of the year. Some people call it uh, confession season because that's when the companies go, oh, actually, we did not do as well as we thought we would. And you're starting to sort of see that play out both here and in the US. Although some, it happens the other way around too. Like sometimes they do a lot better than uh, what we thought they would. But um, let's jump in. We're going to talk about ResMed. We're going to talk about Disney. Uh, then we've got a listener question. And I like this question. It's all sort of about behavioral investing and psychology and I'm really into that that kind of topic and not, it's not so much a technical question, it's more about how you think about investing and, and you know, missing different opportunities there. But we'll jump in first with ResMed and probably the, that's probably the one I was most looking forward to this week. I've spoken about them before, they trade under ASX code RMD, they have a pretty big US base of operations, ResMed you'll find that their, their dividends actually paid in US dollars as well. And the market's been pretty upbeat about ResMed this year. As I mentioned in previous episodes, they're, they're, in, the, they're in the ventilator business. So a very good business to be in right now. And I mean, to be fair on them, that's not their only product. It's, I don't think it's even their core product. I mean, what I originally knew ResMed for was uh, sleep apnea treatment devices. So if you ever go into your local chemist, I'm pretty confident you'll you see that sort of section where they have sleep apnea devices and treatment and you'll see like a ResMed logo on some of those devices. So they are big into that industry. So people who have respiratory issues when they're trying to sleep and they can wear sort of various apparatuses, uh, like the masks and things like that. Um, they also provide software for the health industry. So it's not all just uh, physical hardware. So they have a bit of a SaaS side to their business as well. But the market has definitely been pumping it up this year based on strong ventilator production and sales in response to COVID-19. So big, strong sales in the US, uh, getting you know government contracts here to sort of 
you know, shore up supplies. And it was strong. It was very, very strong. So to give you an idea, they ramped up ventilator production at the start of kind of all of this happening. They made 52,000 units in the first quarter of the calendar year this year. And that actually changed to 100,000 in the second quarter. So the quarter to June just ended. So that just shows you they basically doubled their output um, from one quarter to the next. And I mean, they probably could have had, I mean, they kind of talked that they were really running at capacity there. And that really helps them to deliver a good financial performance, which they announced to the market. Their revenue was up 13%, operating profit up 24% to US 891 million. I mean, the, the other part of their business, which is the sleep apnea side, that has actually slid backwards. And as you can imagine, so like I know their CEO talked about this, how you know hospitals diagnose um, these kind of um, these kind of issues that people have, these kind of sleep apnea problems, and uh, those hospitals around the world, especially in the US, they've tended to prioritise COVID right now. They've done, you know, there's been delayed surgeries, you know, reassigning staff and resources to more immediate concerns to do, to do with the virus as opposed to sort of other services the hospital offers. And this has really put a dampener on that ResMed, that side of the ResMed business, I should say. And it's one reason why regardless of the strong results, and ResMed has been priced for very strong results leading up to this. You saw the share price actually skid almost 7.5% yesterday alone. Just having a look at them today, they're kind of down again today. Not as much. They, they fell by a few percent of the open, but they've recovered a bit. They're still down about a percent while I'm recording this. And I think that's because there's that other part of the business that's uh, sort of suffered a little bit. But one of the other reasons is... There was some commentary from their chief exec, Mick Farrell. He said in an interview with the AFR, he said, whilst the outlook is good for their firm, and obviously this has been a good year, those sort of tailwinds that they've experienced in regards to ventilator production sales have kind of hit a peak. You know, it's, it's going to sort of peel back now and slow down. So it's not like they're going to ramp up again to do even more and, uh, than they have been currently doing because... I mean, the other issue with ventilators is it's all well and good to order them. So a hospital could order a thousand ventilators, but you actually need the staff to know how to, to use them and who are trained to use them. So you can't just have unlimited ventilators just lying around. And that was, um, I guess, a little bit of oversight on why the market reacted, I would say negatively, but they but it has been a very good year. So I think if you, uh, if you look at... ResMed over the course of the year, I mean, they've really delivered some really good results for investors. So I don't think this sort of uh, share price pullback in the last day or so is going to trouble those long-time investors. They announced a pretty good dividend um, off the back of that. And again, that's not something that a lot of companies are doing right now. So I think all in all, pretty good for ResMed. But I'm going to quickly move on. We also want to go across the pond to a company not in Australia, that is in, well, I guess they're across multiple ponds if you really want to get specific because of their parks. But I'm talking about Disney, of course, and I've been loosely following Disney, as I mentioned in an episode a couple months ago because they've, they're kind of like the perfect storm for you know, this issue of COVID-19. And when, oh, well, when I say perfect storm, I, I sort of mean that in a bad way. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but think about Disney. They have parks. They have, they have to be shut down along with you know, everything else. Uh, they have huge flagship movie titles like Mulan that were pulled from cinema release because of all the cinemas being shut down. And they have a lot of uh, businesses in you know accommodation, uh, usually associated with their parks. 
cruise ships, you know, just general tourism travel stuff that nobody is really allowed to do right now anyway. So certainly nobody expects it to be a very good year for Disney. And just to give you an idea, and this is just a quarterly update that they came out with this week. And so these figures are for the third quarter compared with the same quarter the uh, year prior. And so they have like a division in Disney that's like parks, experiences and products division. And that actually pulled back about 85% in revenue. So big, massive decline there in revenue compared to the year prior in the same period. In total, the company took about a $3.5 billion hit to operating income during that time. And that's basically primarily off the back of that sort of those parks uh, division. So the parks being closed because, you know, they, they'd even planned to sort of, I think they did even for a little bit, they started to open uh, California back up, but then the state itself rolled back a lot of those, uh, I guess, those regulations back to restricting and, and putting lockdowns in place because California's start to see again um, uh, more of a, an increase in COVID-19 cases. So that's affected Disney again. So quite some big losses there. I guess really the shining star of their release is, and something to give investors a little bit of hope is their streaming platform, which um, we're probably all familiar with, which is Disney+. Plus. Now, when they talk about their streaming business, they also refer to other, I guess, tent poles or, or products that they own, so Hulu, and ESPN Plus as well. So the figure you'll see out there is that Disney's come to market saying they've got about 100 million, just over 100 million subscribers. That is in total. So that's including Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. They also announced in their quarterly update that they're going to actually launch another streaming service in 2021 or fiscal year 2021. Uh, it'll be under the Star brand that they got from Fox because you might remember they they uh, acquired 21st Century Fox and it will sort of have content from other things that aren't sort of specifically Disney related. So things like 20, 20th Century Studios, Searchlight, um, sort of media entities that fall under those brands. And it'll sort of, it all apparently it will be fully integrated into Disney Plus as well. Um, what's interesting about all this though is you they are pretty happy with the way Disney Plus is growing. I think investors are pretty happy with that. They Disney Plus itself has reached 60.5 million paid subscribers. If you want an idea of how that compares to something like Netflix, Netflix uh, posts quote uh, sorry posts closer to about 193 million. So Netflix is by far the biggest streaming platform, but um, Disney has been able to grow those customers they said their goal was 60 to 90 million subscriptions by 2024 and it's only 2020 and they're already in this uh they're already on it or many or already at 60 and a half million so they're doing all right i think obviously the, the challenge there is to maintain retention uh, because people tend to maybe get bored of streaming platforms once they've you know i, I think i think the issue with streaming platforms is you can only rely on sort of the old classics you know like reruns of the office or friends for so long the strategy with something like netflix is to just keep pumping out new content that's why it always seems like there's some new show launching on netflix or, or a netflix original for example so and, and disney is certainly in the game of that they they have original content on their platform and that's probably something you'll still continue to see them do and um they're taking a bit of a dice roll here in regards to milan the film if you weren't aware that um, one of their big releases was scheduled for 2020. It was sort of closer back towards the March time period from memory. And 
Uh, they had to pull it, of course, because they're not going to release it into cinemas while cinemas are closed and they're not going to make many much money off that. Um, and it is a big business decision because their films, their big tentpole franchises like a Frozen or a, or a Lion King or, or, or can net like a billion dollars or more. Um, and Milan certainly had that kind of potential behind it. So they pulled it and they keep pushing back the release date, keep pushing it back. What they've decided on this quarterly update is to actually release Milan on to a Disney Plus platform, but not for free. So it's almost going to act like a pay-per-view. I don't know if anyone sort of watches uh, like a boxing or, or UFC where they have, you might be subscribed to the platform to watch their sort of free-to-air ones, but then you have to pay for a pay-per-view and that might cost you $50, $60. And they're going to do the same with Milan. It's going to cost $29.99 US or in the US, I should say, um, if you want to watch it and you've got Disney Plus. I guess that might seem a little bit steep, as a price because you know movie tickets don't cost that much but they're probably thinking that that's probably good value if you've got a family of four you know mum dad two kids they probably would spend more than that on movie tickets in total um but yeah i guess they're i'm going to be very interested to sort of see just generally how the film does um such like a big film like this there hasn't been a big film released in this kind of way during covid uh, as, as in one this big. It's going to be interesting to see how consumers take that, uh, whether it has the same sort of takeoff um, and, you know, box office, if you want to call it, that um, normally their films would have in a cinema environment. But, yeah, very interesting to follow there. The shares actually went up a little bit, even though they had those really bad numbers. I guess most people never thought they were going to have good numbers and there's probably a little bit of optimism there from their digital and streaming services. But I do have a listener question this week. Uh, and thank you very much for this question. It comes from Anna in Sydney, actually. Thank you, Anna, for your question. The question is, how do you deal with missed opportunities in investing? I don't necessarily mean losses or mistakes, but the ones that get away, the stocks that you thought you might invest in, but you didn't. I always stare at Afterpay and wish I followed my gut on that one. Thanks and keep up the podcast. That is a really good question. I've also stared at Afterpay and wish that I understood the business a bit better back when it became popular. <laughs> Um, yeah, this might sound like a cop-out answer, but those are always, 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 always going to happen, those missed opportunities. I mean, for one, yeah, how, are you how are you possibly ever going to keep track of everything on the market? There's, you know, in Australia alone, there's thousands of companies listed on the ASX, let alone all the companies in the world. So how can you possibly keep a track of anything? And, I, and again, I would sort of think about it like, is there a learning experience there? Is it worth noting down or thinking about why at the time you didn't decide to? Because you obviously had your reservations. Perhaps you had looked at risks. I remember with Afterpay, it's, I was a little bit dumb in that I just was one of those people back... I'm talking about back in the early days of Afterpay. I was like, oh, who's going to use this? Which sounds stupid, obviously, in hindsight because everyone uses it, but... I didn't understand it, I guess. I didn't understand the product and the service. I didn't understand how easy it was to use. And, you know, now it's gone from just a couple of dollars a share to, you know, something like 70 something, or it's been at least up close to 70. And it is definitely the one that got away from many investors. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of afterpay shareholders that, to be honest with you, just got lucky. They didn't really know it was going to go like this. They just bought in because maybe a mate told them or they believed that it would do well. They probably didn't think it was going to do this well, but that's the thing with investing. You're going to have your hits and you're going to have your misses. 
I guess it's good that you, it's not a loss in the sense that it's not like it's something that's gone poorly and you've lost money. It's just a missed opportunity. So I would think about why I didn't invest in it. What was my reservations at the time? And I do like a little exercise. I think it was, I was going to say a colleague, but I think it was one of my old bosses who I got this idea from of actually noting down in, like I keep a little, almost like a log, like a notebook of why I invested in a company when I did. So it sort of keeps you honest in a way because it's a good way to, it's a good thing to review because as things change with that company, you can see how that stacks up with what your original reason to invest in the company. But it's also good to sort of note down why you didn't invest in a company and think about it that way because there will be reasons. Take it as a learning experience. Maybe you can apply those reasons that you did or did not go into that company uh, to, to the next opportunity because the thing at the end of the day it's not worth dwelling on I mean there's going to be another there's going to be another afterpay in the sense of you know some stock that goes crazy up there's all there's always a hype train sector in the market you know whether it's lithium or baby powder milk or now it's buy now pay laters um, remember when bitcoin was like a big thing and then like even company it was that company that changed its name like Long Island Ice Tea that just changed its name to like Long Island Blockchain in the US and then their shares just skyrocketed off the back of a name change. They didn't do anything. Stuff like that. So there's stupid things like that where stuff just skyrockets but then there's uh, legit businesses that do very well and are very innovative like an afterpay. Think about why you didn't reflect on that. Take it as a learning experience. You're not going to get them all so don't, don't, you need to take the emotion out of that investing and not sit there dwelling on it I know it sounds harder than, it sounds easier, I should say, than, than what it probably is, but take the emotion out of it. Don't stress about it. Use it as a learning experience. Apply that next time. Um, and think about why you do pull the trigger on certain stocks. So I really recommend that as a way just to almost eh, keep a journal in a way of just what, what you do and what you don't do. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Market Pulse podcast. This has been episode 24, the last place edition Again, as I always say, you can shoot those kind of questions through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to explore a topic in a little bit more detail, I'm happy to do that as well. But let me know. Hope you have a good weekend, week, whatever it is. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers.